0: If you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're in 2 Corinthians. and We did 1 Corinthians some time ago. I always held off on 2 Corinthians because it's, it's a little heavy sledding. It, it takes some work. And so I actually was going to call this morning grammar. But then I thought, oh, no. Nobody likes to talk about grammar. I don't know. Some of our teachers in here are like, yeah, grammar is important. It is. This is like super important stuff we're talking about. And I want to make sure that you get to understand how the Apostle Paul, our Apostle, is actually framing and helping us get what he's going to talk about for the next several chapters in the meat of the letter. But it's, it's about two ways of living. That's what we're going to talk about some. What I'd like to do is go through the passage and then we'll dive into how that works because that's so important for us to know. So here it is, you know, I'm all in as a Christian. I hope you are too. Man, it's just, sometimes it's a little uncertain what it is. 2 Corinthians helps us. Last week, you know, I I don't know if, if you caught it. Paul says we are led in triumphal procession by Jesus. Right now. Okay, come on, get real. Square that with your life. Triumphal procession? Dude, I, I'm, I'm, I'm needing to increase the strength of my bifocals. I, my, my life doesn't seem to go as I want it to go. It, I, I, death and dying and sin and failure. So, well, that's great for Paul to say that he's in triumphal procession. He was the apostle. But he's talking about us. He said it as one who was weak and suffering and afflicted, now, not Superman. He not marching onward, Christian soldiers, let's grab the banner and march the hill and we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna claim victory by our strength in what God has made us. That's actually the point of this letter. It's a big deal. How are you gonna see your life every single moment? Not just the highs that we want, but the lows that we experience. It's audacious to claim that, that, that amazing works and incredible glory are being done through you and me right now. You say, well, it's not audacious. I do great works. No, you, I, that's a, come on. Really? Like Paul's? That Paul's being audacious, apostolic hope, and he's going to go kind of refuse to defend himself as they think he ought to. He's going to paint a whole new way to think and live that's explicitly Explicitly and only Christian. Oh, There's so many ways in which we overlap with all sorts of other religions. But Christianity, and I'm all in, is a particular message from Paul by the Holy Spirit, you know, through him to tell you and me. And I want you to have this grammar, this these ideas out there for, to see before he uses them to kind of continue to push into how we're going to experience life and death. Glory that's coming in glory now. So I want you to have freedom and joy and wonder and worship at the truth so much better than what is passed off so often as Christian living. So I'm... I'm that's why i felt comfortable okay calling this two ways to live one is hardened and stupid and common the one is amazing and true in jesus so the first is foreign to the world the christian way foreign to the world and therefore foreign to a lot of my flesh cuz i'm here in the world and so are you Okay, so let's take a look. I'm going to walk us through the passage pretty quickly. It's chapter 3, so if you want to go to chapter 3, that's where we are in in 2 Corinthians. And and make sure you see kind of what he's thinking, his argument, and then we'll talk about what it means. Okay, here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, Paul Writes. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So Paul starts off this morning with the idea of letters of recommendation. Like for, from or to, and, and you guys know what those are, right? It's, it's this be letters that would say how good he is. Letters that would testify what he's done, his works, his accomplishments, what they want of him, this Corinthian church, because people have been questioning him. Man, give us, give us a list again. Send us your resume, you know, send us these letters or recommendation telling us the great things that you've done because that's what you do in resumes, right? You want the job? You write it out. So, so send us that, and, and, and that's what they want. Prove your apostleship. Tell us what you've done. Show us your proof. Is that how Christianity works? And for many of us, amen it is. Let me show you some good things. Man, I used to smoke, but I don't smoke anymore. Praise Jesus. He's working in me, right? But Paul says something totally different. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He says, see, you're our letter because the spirit is in you. We preach the gospel and you trust that's a miracle as messed up as you are. And by the way, they are very messed up. Paul has had a terrible relationship with this church. He founded it. He spent a year and a half sweating over the, the founding of the church. And then he has to make visits and write hard letters. And, and even the letter that we have in first Corinthians is basically like, you guys are mess ups. Stop doing this stuff. In the midst of that, he says, your recommendation is that you have the Spirit. There's something real that's happened. I mean, but don't think for a minute that your faith is our accomplishment, Paul says, right? That's what he says there. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so if you're reading this in your quiet time, a lot of times this is the time you said, let's just go to chapter four. I kind of have trouble following what it is that he's doing and, and saying, but you, you, you shouldn't. This is important. What he's doing is saying he's the minister of the new covenant, not the old covenant. And then he makes these lines, these ideas, and he's putting it almost in a chart, right? Because you have this idea that, that the old covenant is the letter. It's a reference to law. The list of demands, how you have done, show me your obedience. And he says, rather, we're of the spirit. So the law, demanding and judging our efforts, he says, that kills you. But the spirit acting upon us gives life. I hope you start to see it. Wait a minute, there's some differences in these two things that he's talking about. He's definitely contrasting them. And he's saying, this, this one over here is life and the spirit acting on us, coming to us. This one is letter, and it's death. It, it, it's actually you doing actively things, and it's not going to go where you think it's going to go. Now, if the ministry of death, okay, he's not backing up. He's not qualifying like I would. Saying, like, oh, the, 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 the letter's really good, you guys. It's, no. This letter is the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the agreement they had. Remember, they had two sets of letters on stone and they put them in the Ark of the Covenant and this was the agreement that God had with them. They would obey him. He would dwell with them. They, They would keep the commands, the Ten Commandments and more through Leviticus as he explains how to bless it out. And he says this ministry of death came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Oh, that ministry of death was going to end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So in contrast to that, there's this ministry of the Spirit that doesn't kill, that gives life, and it doesn't end. But it also has glory. That's going to be kind of his focus. Clearly, he's making a reference as we go through this to the Ten Commandments representing the laws, the ministry of death. Clearly, that covenant, which was written on stone, remember, they carried around for centuries. God did that. And then you have Moses, who met with God. Remember, we, we did it just in Exodus. It's there. Moses would meet with God, and because he met with God face to face... Not directly, you know, because you can't look on God and live, but he, he, was, he was near God, and so his face started to glow. That's what he's talking about, right? So, so he's saying this as somebody whose face does not shine. Okay, okay, okay. If I took Moses post-hanging out with God and Paul and put them both on the stage here, Which one would you think is shining more glory? I'm picking Moses. Why are you picking Moses? His face is shining, dude. Like literally you would look at him and say, oh my goodness, his face is glowing. And Paul, you'd be going, well, he doesn't look like much and so paul's saying this right he's saying there's a cool ministry that moses had and he goes but i'll tell you there's another ministry with more glory but you gotta think that the language that he's starting to talk about is is wait a minute what do you mean glory <laughs> you showing us your res show, show us the proof paul make your face glow But he, again, he's not backing down. It's so important. Keep walking through the text. For if there was glory, verse 9, in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceeded in glory. Okay, now he's still going down the line, of giving us these clues about the differences. So there's the ministry of the old covenant, the law, and it's the letter, and it kills, and it comes to an end, and it doesn't have much, much glory as this one over here has more Glory. It's doubling down. And now we're going to call this one the ministry of condemnation. And we're going to call this way of the Spirit. What was it again? Righteousness. Okay, now you're messing with me because righteousness is following the, the law. No. Righteousness by the Spirit. There's some divine lines he's making for us. He wants you to see that the Ten Commandments representing the entire covenant with God through Moses is a ministry of condemnation. It's not there to affirm you and me. It did not bring life. It had glory, though. God was in it. God did it. It's not, like, bad. But, but, but now there's the Spirit, this new covenant, and it's a ministry of righteousness, of goodness, and it will far exceed it in glory. In fact, verse 10... Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. It's like, what's with all the glory stuff? Because that's the issue. The issue is that the law, the demands of God, your obedience to it, you can see. Look at these guys who have advanced and gotten it. Look at these people who have gotten out of sin. Look at these people who are doing better. Look at them. They are doing what God demands. They are obedient and God will bless them. Anxious no more. Filled with peace and joy. And then you got these people. And and, and Paul is saying, wait a minute. The glory of the spirit is so much more that it's like Moses' face isn't even shining. It's that amazing. There's something so amazing that though you look at Paul and he looks like nothing, he has so much more glory than Moses and his shining face. You'd never know it just looking at him. You'd have to believe something. What do you got to believe? Oh, it's this thing called the Bible? It's this thing called the Second Corinthians. It's the gospel. That's what he's making a case for. So, so he, he continues on. That's, you don't see it now, but it's there, he's saying, right? So let's finish up what he's talking about, then we'll, we'll break it apart a little bit more. So since we have such a hope, verse 12, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. get this this is really fascinating and and we saw it when we went to exodus right It was like moses when he met with god and his face started glowing and then what he would do is he'd come out of meeting with god and his face was glowing and he would tell the people what god demanded of them this is what god wants you to do or this is what's going to happen now and then when he was done speaking about god he would do what close it up put a veil not let you see the glory so he said that he's like that god had him do that Paul is saying. They could see that it was from God, and it was. But then he put the veil back over his face and covered up because the part of him was not from God. You know, he he could glow while he was in the presence of God, and he could glow while he was speaking of God. But when he went to the toilet, when he was like cooking, when he was sweeping the house, when he was playing with his kids, when he was doing normal stuff, the veil was on. Why? Because that wasn't God. That was just him doing stuff. So that was like representative from God. That was like making sure you don't see the human stuff. His glory was for the moment when he was doing the holy things. That's what, what Paul's saying. They didn't they see permanent glory because that's not what that covenant was about. It wasn't permanent. In fact, their minds were hardened. It says that. Their minds were hardened. In fact, it, literally, if you look at that, it's a very strong, It's even, it's a little bit stronger even than Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Their their minds, their minds, their reasoning, their their, their thinking, not intellect, but actually their actions and works, the things that comes out of it, it was made stone. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. What he's saying is not the veil in the tabernacle. We're not talking that. We're talking about Moses' face being covered. We're talking about the end of the glory, the purpose of the Old Covenant, the reason why the commands were given. Paul says they didn't know, because their hearts were hardened. They didn't get to see the glory of it all. Because that only comes a certain way. What way? In Christ. I told you I'm all in on this Christian stuff, but the real name for Christians is what? People who are in Christ. You see it, right? You see it with me. You see the purpose. You see the purpose of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. You, you, you see it. Seeing what God is doing, they don't understand the veils over their minds, their hearts, even to that day. And Paul's speaking, though, you've got to realize he's not speaking about Judaizers coming into Corinth. He's not. He's talking to pagan Corinthians who essentially are like, Yeah, we're in the world. We understand how the world works. You do stuff and you get results. Paul, where are your results? Paul, show us your increasing strength. Show us your deliverance from weakness. Show us your charismatic speaking. Show us your power. That, that's the issue, right? And he says we have amazing glory. It's just so different than your flesh wants to see. They don't understand. So anyone who's looking at the law for glory, the demands, evaluating their own performance, is missing the end, covering parts of life and making some parts good and some parts bad. That's that's what we do. We ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We discern good and bad. We decide for God. We're little gods. Good and bad. So, So it says that to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, our Lord is Jesus, the veil is removed. Suddenly, you see differently. Suddenly, your grammar starts to make sense. Suddenly, you're, you're, you're buying into concepts that's underneath the ideas we've always been fighting about, about the moral issues of our country and the justice issues we're trying to do in society and all these things that are going on up here. There's something underneath it that gets our heart as a community amazingly together and united, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ lifts the veil by acting on our hearts, bringing in the Spirit so there's no more veil. He is working always in every single thing in your life so there's freedom. Why? Because you don't got control of the oar. You're on a raging river going downstream. That, that, that's freedom for you. Okay, so it says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's what he's going after, that idea. And one more thing. This is the transformation, Paul says even. This change from thinking that the letter will give you life to that the Spirit is our life. That's what he says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is transformation is to behold the glory of the Lord, the permanent glory. it's not talking about you becoming a stronger you. This is about you beholding glory from start to finish. And what's the glory? The cross. our Savior. Seeing the end, which is more than a moral transformation. It's deeper. It's God's favor and comfort revealed forever in Christ. The killing demand of the law pushing us to the wondrous gift of the gospel right? The the eschaton, this is a big theological word for the future. You know what the future holds. What? That in Christ, we will be resurrected. Sin will be no more. It's coming. I know it's coming. It's going to be amazing. And I live by promise even right now, knowing that is true because the spirit testifies to my heart. It's true. It's true. It's true. That's what he's getting at. Paul says that transformation takes place in Christ. He says it to the face of He's saying it to these people who want him to show outward behavior. That's the very context he's talking about. It flatly contradicts the claim that he has glory. Right? Okay. So so faith in Christ, it changes you and me because we trust the promises are real. Every bit of your life is every bit of your life is glorious. Isn't it? I, and I say that because I look at you and you don't look very glorious. And you're gonna be tempted. So, well, I'll get more glorious if I sin less. No, you're glorious because the Holy Spirit's in you. And, and, and so that's this way over here. It's a different way if you have the Holy Spirit. So how do, you have the, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a promise. You get the Holy Spirit by trusting Jesus. So if you have the Holy Spirit, then I said, now I want, uh, I want the Spirit to prove itself that it's in me. No, you're trying to get back over to prove it. Stop proving it. You're doing it by trust. What are you trusting? That Jesus died and therefore he gives you the spirit. What does that mean? It means you walk around with glory and everything because the spirit's always in you. Well, I have the spirit, but occasionally I shut him down and tell him to go away. How do you do that? Well, I can do that. I can turn it on like a switch. You can. No, you can't. The Holy Spirit is a gift, a guarantee, a seal. He's in your heart. You trust in Jesus. You have the spirit. You've got glory forever and it's coming. You're living by this way. It's not that you show it. like That's this way to say, oh, by the letter, let me see your great obedience and see how you're doing. That's the way of death. This is the grammar Paul is laying out for us. Okay, I'm I'm kind of beating it to death in some ways, but, but this is critical. Every bit of your life is glorious because Jesus Christ is in it all the time by the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't look like it. I get it, but that's Paul's very argument. Moses' face is shining. My life looks like nothing, but I'm telling you the glory that I have in Christ far exceeds Moses by such an amount that you will not even think his face is glowing. It's that awesome. Because why? I trust that the promises are real. We sang about them. We actually sang things that we don't do this morning. I don't have trouble singing it because it's a catchy song, but I will follow you. I will lay my, I feel like I'm taking marriage vows that I can't keep. I don't follow them very well. If I'm going to judge the glory based on how I'm doing at any given time, I'm living by the law. And Paul says, that's called the ministry of death. If instead I'm over here saying, you know what? Jesus actually is real and I trust him. He forgives me and it's true. I'm living by the spirit. That's where he's going. So I, I, I want to walk through that just a tiny bit more and take what he's saying, proclaim it to your life. So let's, let's consider for a minute living by the letter. Let's, let's, let's go by this idea because that's how they were living. Living by the letter. Right? What does it mean to live by the letter? Because that's what the Corinthians were doing, and honestly, what a lot of us are constantly tempted to do. Because it is the world all the time. If we can, what the world does is, which is not Christianity, is they take the letter and they change it. So we fight that fight a lot. You know, they take the perfect law of God that clearly says what is right and wrong, and they start saying, No, no, it's not. We're going to change this, and we're going to change that because we don't like God was so harsh back there in Romans one. We're going to change it. That's wrong. But it's not the main issue. It really isn't. A lot of us think that that's how we're supposed to live. Give us your letter of recommendation. Show us your evidence of being an apostle. That's what they were asking Paul. So show us how God is using you miraculously and strongly and wonderfully since you put the best bits in then and you leave the rest hidden. That's the way of the law. I'll put the best bits in on my resume. If you're making a resume, you know what I don't say? I stayed up really late last night playing a video game and I do that a lot. Uh, You might wanna leave that off your resume. I'm really late all the time because I, I have trouble getting up in the morning. Boy, that's a great thing to put on your resume. We'll hire you for the job. No, we leave that stuff out. You leave out anything that's not positive and you just put on your letter of recommendation, on your resume, you put the things that glow. Look, I'm good. That's what they were asking Paul for. So we lift up moments when we seem to fulfill the golden rule. You do know the golden rules in the Bible. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus said that. This fulfills the law and the prophets. It's the same thing as loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. If you would just do to people what you would do to yourself. So I pick out a few times when I've done a few kind things. I put that on my resume. I start doing those sorts of things. And and the the emphasis is always on on things I can kind of show and and then I can hide when I don't or when I glorify results and external deeds. That's the problem. The practical reasoning of the Corinthians and you and me is their problem. And it's ours. Because they thought you build a resume for God. They can't imagine that life is only found in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that wisdom is foolishness, that glory is in shame, they thought they were delivered from death and foolishness and shame. And sometimes we do too. We think the reality is if we believe in Jesus, he takes us out of of, of shame and failure and weakness and and affliction because God loves to heal. And, And Paul's like, no, you're not understanding. But we want that. That's living by the letter. The law of God brings demands, and if you meet these demands, you show by the letter that you have, so what did you do today for God? What did you, God do through you today? Let's, let's reframe it in a way that you know, at least sounds more humble. How did God work through you today? You know, that is a call for you to just say how good you're doing. It is. And, and and you know what? God does use you. There's coolness in the law. God made the law. The letter is good. But the problem is how we take it. I want to show the proof. I want to hide the bad. I want to bring forth the good. So his opponents in Corinthians who weren't Judaizers were insisting on keeping the the Jewish stuff. It's their reasoning by temporal standards that he's after. They're thinking like the old covenant. God blesses you when you obey. So where's the blessing? The blessing is in maximum obedience. The blessing is located when you conform yourself as best as you possibly can to the law of God and then God's blessings flow. When you follow the five-step forgiveness plan, then God will release his blessing on you because you're doing the right thing, you see. It's all focused on you. It's turned inward. It's about showing your improved life. More strength, less weakness. More ability, less uselessness. More peace, less anxiety. Where's Where's the letter? The letter is the standard of what you should be. And Paul says, make no mistake, this kills you. This whole way of living kills you. The letter kills, the old covenant where you kept obedience and God blessed as a ministry of death. It came with glory because God gave it. But that way of thinking ends with Christ. Right? So you'll hear this trap a lot of ways. You'll hear this trap in your life as I just want to be useful. That means you don't think you're useful now. You'll hear stuff like, well, we need to love more and more. Well, that means you're not not loving now. Well, I just need to do better. Well, that, that's fine. There's no wrong impulse. There's always an impulse to do better because the letter is on you. The demands of God are there. The word of God is clear. Love your neighbor and love God. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you that's sitting there in front of you, staring at you, and, and you're not doing it very well. You could always do better. And the problem is I start to evaluate based on that. Instead of going, do I trust that every moment in every way, God in Christ and the Holy Spirit in me is using me Now? He promised he would. He says he's got me. He's actually in me. And but but I feel like no, I've got to engage my will more. In order, what does that make it about? It makes it about you. This is living by the letter. Why aren't you more victorious over your sin? Over your depression? Over some whatever internal struggle you have? You must not be really trusting. I'm not sure you're really a Christian. No, you're making Christianity about how well you're keeping the letter. And Paul's basically said, that kills you, man. You can't do, it. you know, if you would obey, God would bless you is a straight statement of law. By the way, how's your obedience? Because in the letter, that's the question you need to answer to get God's blessing, and it kills you because it's not good enough. In the spirit, which you are going to hit in just a second, how's your obedience is answered by Two words. Jesus' obedience. How is Jesus' obedience for you? Well, I wish it was a little bit better. No, that's going to be the idea, right? Living by the spirit, you have the actual spirit of God in you that, that the, the unbeliever doesn't have. Why do I have it? I have my promise that God gives it to me, opens my eyes to the wonder of what Jesus has done, which is sufficient for everyone. But, but, but the Holy Spirit comes in me in trusting the promises of Jesus and, and in telling me Jesus has done it all. It's finished, it's done. And then trusting that, that I'm actually in the river is, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're got to be done in a minute. I just, this is too exciting it's a different way. Okay. I'm hitting hard at this letter kills because Paul says it, but get it. Paul says it has glory because it's necessary. It is so necessary. This letter, this old covenant, this way that God does and sets his great, amazing, perfect law over you and me because the way of the letter, which kills you. So really I shouldn't say this is, Two ways of living. The first way is the way of dying. The way the spirit, amazing grace of God, opens our eyes by the law to oh my goodness, I'm toast. I'm dying and not getting better. I continue struggling with the same sin for the last ten years. I I, I want to not struggle with anxiety anymore, but here I am, year five, taking three medicines and still struggling. And your eyes are open if you take the letter wrong. Well, I must not be a Christian. That would be one way to go. That's terrible. But the other way to go is I have no ability. I actually don't have the ability to get myself out of this. The letter kills me. I'm dead. I am worthless in this area. I, I, I have no hope in this. And then you have Paul coming in with audacious hope. Which is what? the spirit we want to find hope in the law because it validates our flesh ourselves our own letters of recommendation so really rightly instead of living by the letter we should say we're all dying by the letter and paul calls you and i to die because any hope that the letter gives is temporary it was brought to an end it had no hope in it moses had to cover up and eventually moses even we didn't get to the story in numbers but even moses god says you're not going to my promised land I'm gonna end you before I take my people into the promised land. You do know he's a representative of the law. Ah, amazing. Paul calls you and I to die to our own glory, to die to our own obedience meters, to die to our own external measurements, and to actually receive life. So there's a way of life that seems right to the world. It seems like what everybody's after, but actually... It's death, and it's death to us, and it's great that it's death because then our eyes have been opened to where life really is. It should be game over by the letter into living by the Spirit. So touch that. We'll get more of this. Paul's not giving it. This is his grammar. The way to actually live. Paul says, this is my message. This is what I'm an apostle of. This message, what we call the gospel, you need the law. You need the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation to get you to loosen your hold on yourself and realize how passive your salvation is. How glory doesn't follow the path you think. The glory is God. So Paul says, I look like nothing, I have no shining face like Moses. But God is writing on my hard heart the wondrous message of Christ for me. He has confidence through Christ toward God, not in himself. And so he's sufficient because he has the spirit. And again, right away in our minds, we go, wow, how do I know I have the Spirit? I want to see proofs. I want to see like, oh, so there's whole things that have kind of sprouted up to try and get people to, to realize they have the Spirit. Say, wow, well, maybe if I speak in tongues, I'll know I have the Spirit. So I'll try really hard to speak in tongues, or maybe we'll do all these things. But no, the reality is you have the Spirit by promise. God promises that you're sealed with it, that it's your guarantee. He gives it to you. Full stop, gift of God in Christ. The Spirit, though, by declaration of Paul right here, gives life. Right? This in contrast to the letter that doesn't. The letter still needed to bring death because only dead people are brought to life. That's, that's the move. This is Paul's hope because he knows the end. This is why his, we go around in glory because I know the end. What's the end? Me resurrected. I, I'm going to be alive forever. And, and even right now, I live by that promise knowing that God's, remember last week, God's speaking to me in Christ by his promises is always what? Yes. Yes. That's what Paul wrote last week. Okay. Okay. That's real faith, and we keep looking at at the glory in Christ for us. It isn't hear the glorious demands and then look away at the failure, but keep looking the entire time at the outcome, which is not being brought to the end, the promise of God. So this means even in my sin, I don't have to stop looking at the glory. You know what I sin? I still trust that God has forgiven me in Christ. What about unrepentant sin? Well, what, what, what do you mean? If I trust in Jesus, all my sin is forgiven. Well, you got to list it out. You can't list it all out. You don't even know it all. Do you believe that God in Christ has forgiven all your sin? Yes. That, that's, that's what this pathway is. You're going to now live by, by the Spirit. You're not going to live by the letter anymore, which is to say, get rid of all of it piece by piece. You can't. You have to realize it's forgiven by the Spirit, and He promises resurrected life, but He doesn't take your sin away because that would mean you would never need to die, and all of us in this room are dying, some of us sooner than others. Okay, again, I'm, I'm kind of beating it to death. If you turn to the Lord, if you turn to Christ, there's no more veil, there's no more letter, there's freedom because your works aren't on the scale. This is the promise of new life and new creation and real spontaneous good works are done by the Spirit, but you aren't planning and trying to make sure you do them because the Spirit is actually your life. It's beautiful. And I see you this way. So I don't see you like, man, I wish you would get your life together more and do more for God. I don't even know what God's doing through you, but I know he is because I trust the Spirit. See? See how that works? Oh, we can embrace each other in this reality of Christ for you. The letter reveals my sin and rebellion. The Spirit proclaims forgiveness. No hiding. This is the amazing transformation God for you received in Christ. God for us received in Christ. Your neighbor's sins don't keep them from God. Every single one of us is glorious forever in trusting Christ. And there are plenty of people who are like, no, I don't want it. I want to stay in the letter. That's condemnation. And Paul says it doesn't look like much. It looks like suffering and affliction and continued bodies that decay and sin that happens in the midst of a message that Jesus Christ has done it all. That's, that's why he says stuff like this in, in, in Colossians 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory. This mystery, which is what? Christ in you, you nothing burger. The hope of glory. <laughs> Whoa, He's coming right off the passage Alan read a little bit ago about how amazingly powerful Jesus Christ is for you and me. And we get it. It's fabulous. You know this, right? You know there's no condemnation in Christ. That's that's the beginnings of Romans 8. There's no condemnation in Christ. Those who are in Christ and we are in him, that's our name does that mean anything? It means everything. It means a community that's not measured by the outside. We value and speak of a spirit that works on each and every one of us. We are not measurers of gifts. We are receivers of the giver. We are trying to learn this new vocabulary that the law, the letter, God's demands is a ministry of death and condemnation as beautiful as it is. It's glorious and good that you die. That's the purpose of Moses, because you need to. It's beautiful to hear you need to love God and to love people. It's beautiful to hear, but it's no surprise you don't. It's beautiful to hear you need to treat others as you want to be treated, but it's not any surprise to me that you don't. That instead, we're playing victim cards. It's beautiful to to me that the the story is the demands of God given to Israel echo through all humanity and it's not our hope. The gospel, the spirit, God's promise is a ministry of life. Jesus Christ is a gift to you. He proclaims the requirements are finished and there's no hope. (laughs) Paul says in what he has done, Paul's affliction and suffering are a pointer to the amazing glory because God works in us and we don't see it. It's by promise. So it's glorious that the spirit is in you and God's producing what he wants. And now, no hiding. It's glorious to hear that God died for you in Christ. His promise lies over you and around you forever over us in unity It's glorious to hear that your hope is sure because it doesn't depend on the letter, but on the Spirit who cannot be stopped by your puny will. How I wish that we taught this instead of thinking you're strong enough to stop the Spirit of God. What in the world? This is amazing. This is real rest. The spirit is the key. He's given freely in Christ. There's freedom to trust right now in your affliction and suffering. No matter where God has you in your journey, the hope that I have for you is that you would have your eyes open to the wonder that he's got you and he's using you and he's bearing good works through you because he does it, acting on you. And he promises heaven. That's why I'm here. That's why we're all in. And then Paul's going to use this grammar even more in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the law. Thank you that it pushes us to your gospel. We are so thankful for the pathway of the cross to eternal life and excited to walk it with you, Lord. Excited that you call us friend, excited that you've saved us, given us your spirit and sealed us. And we praise your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.